So get ready. Let's honour the gifts amongst us. Let's honour Apostles Tom and Jane Hammond as they come to minister. Amen. Amen. If you don't mind just staying on your feet for just a moment. Just a moment. You know, um, a few months ago, I walked into our church, and I felt the same thing tonight when I came in. I heard the Lord say, the breaker is here. The breaker is here. So, of course, I looked that up, and that's Micah chapter 2, verse 13, when it says, the breaker has gone up before you. Come on. The breaker has gone up before you. In the Message Bible, it says it this way. The Lord God will burst you out of all confinement. Come on. Come on. The Lord will burst you out of all confinement. Now, when I look this word breaker up in the, in the Hebrew, it literally means this. It means to break out, to burst forth, to break up, to break off, and to break out. To break off all limitation. Now, let me, let me just give you a little theology of shout. How many know we do things sometimes and we don't always get why we do it, all right? My husband gave you the scripture where it says, it says um, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. triumph. How many here have something to triumph about? Come on. If you're, if you're born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, you got something to be smiling about tonight, amen? And then the scripture tells us this, God rises amid shouts of praise. God has gone up with a shout. So when we're shouting, I want you to understand it stirs God. God has gone up. So when we shout, God stands up. Come on. It stirs God. He's not just laying back on his throne going, oh man, yeah, that's a good sound. No, no, no. When God hears the sound of a shout, it causes God to get stirred up like a man of war. That word ruah literally means it's a war cry. Come on. So it says let, that God has gone up with a shout. God arises amid shouts of praise. And then it says this. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I think we need to give the breaker one more big shout of breakthrough and praise and glory and breaking out and breaking through and breaking off all limitation in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Woo! 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 Hallelujah! 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 God is arising for you. God is arising for your children. God is arising for your nation. God is arising for your church. Come on. God is arising for us in this place tonight. Amen. Turn to somebody, give them a high five and say, your breaker's here. You can be seated. Listen, it is, it is just amazing, amazing to be here with you. Um, we, have, we have walked with this team. We were, we were trying to think. It's probably been close to 20 years. And uh, Jenny was telling the leaders, I think, the very first day we came, that we kind of lost touch with each other 
um, over the course of a few years. And Jenny had something she wanted to give me, and she was emailing me, and I wasn't responding to any of her emails. I'm really not like that. I had changed email addresses, and she didn't know that. So she was sending it into the netherworld somewhere. And, um, and she had said something to her team about, um, I, I don't want to give this to her until I can see the whites of her eyes. And so this was when? This was th- three years ago, two years ago? Longer than that? Yeah, I think it was maybe 15. Maybe 15, yeah. So um, my husband and I, uh, every year we, uh, we take my, my parents and his dad on a vacation. We go on vacation with them. It's, it's precious. His dad's going to be 85. My dad's already 85. My mom's 81. Uh, and it's just a great time together. And that year we started and we ended in London. And so we were actually in London and my dad's a big, you know, World War II Churchill guy. So we went to the Churchill War Rooms. And uh, we, were, we were trying to get out. We, the, the exit was all clogged up, so we were going out a different way. And we walked up right behind Steve and Jenny and the team, Maria, and the team. Well, who was the team that was there? So they all know that this happened. And the day after Jenny said, I want to see the whites of her eyes, we bumped into each other in the Churchill War Rooms. Now, could I just point out, we live in America is he the God of divine appointments or what? Amen. And so we knew that there was a divine connection and a divine reconnection. So I just want to say how thrilled we are to be here with you and to just continue to kindle the friendship and the relationship and the kingdom synergy that comes whenever we work together. Amen. I think we should give Steve and Jenny and this amazing team a hand for laying down their lives, sacrificing, come on, doing what they do to advance the kingdom in this land. We so appreciate what you're doing in laying your life down for this nation. Come on, come on. Amazing, amazing team. Amazing team. We love you guys. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of just share a few things with you tonight because in this breaker atmosphere, I believe that uh, we have to understand breakthrough because the definition of the word breakthrough When you actually look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, it means this. It means a military movement. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. How many understand breakthrough is actually a military movement? Okay, it's an aggressive action. A military movement, listen to this, all the way through and beyond the enemy's frontline defense. Everybody say through and beyond. It goes on to say that it's the overcoming of every obstacle, barrier, and hindrance to progress. That's the definition of breakthrough. Now, I will say this. I think that the church has been pretty good at breaking through, but we've been horrible at going beyond. Come on. We get our breakthrough, and we think that's the end of the matter. I want to say to you tonight that breakthrough is not the end. Breakthrough is the beginning. And the the best example of this is what took place on the beaches of Normandy back at the the end of World War II when the Allied troops came and they broke through the enemy's frontline defense. Right? I mean, at at great cost of life. They broke through and they established a beachhead. But that night, they did not stick their rifles in the sand and have a party. 
Come on, why? Because breakthrough was not the end. Breakthrough was the beginning. Breakthrough establishes a beachhead that we can then advance from and begin to set free cities and nations. Listen, if you're looking for a breakthrough in your healing, when you get your healing, not if you get your healing, but when you get your healing, then you are then able to go beyond and start releasing healing to other people. Come on, when you get your financial breakthrough, it's not just to say thank you, Jesus, but it's then to begin to move forward to share that anointing of breakthrough with others. And then God is going to begin to reposition the church to get a breakthrough mentality. And I believe that when you're part of the apostolic prophetic church that God is raising up, that we've got two choices. We can either break down or we can break through. (laughs) How many choose breakthrough? <laughs> you don't usually choose breakdown, but that's what will happen if you don't continue to break through. Amen. Right. And so, um, a, a couple of years ago, we were in our morning prayer time and I was walking back and forth and I was praying and I felt like the Lord said that the, the nations were coming in to a tipping point, yeah. <laughs> a tipping point. And this was, I think back in 2011, And um, I had actually been preaching on breaking the spirit of Egypt for the first few weeks of, of 2011. And then the Lord said, nations are in the tipping point. Well, that very next week was when the Arab Spring started, where the Tunisian revolution happened, the Egyptian revolution. Remember all that? And you could not turn your television set on without the newscaster saying, there are nations in the tipping point. Egypt is in a tipping point. Tunisia is in a tipping point. The Middle East is in a tipping point. The the headlines of major newspapers proclaim Egypt is at a tipping point. Well, I believe that just as much as that was a tipping point then, I believe we are in a tipping point moment right now. Our nation and your nation are both in a tipping point moment. Amen. I believe Europe is in a tipping point moment. Now, when I, when I heard that that morning, I think we all kind of understand the concept of a tipping point. But when I heard the Lord say that, I, I did what um, reasonable prophets do sometimes, and I Googled it. Okay? So let me just tell you what Google says a tipping point is. It is the point at which something becomes irreversible and unstoppable. It occurs because momentum builds up, often slowly and quietly, until a point when it becomes impossible to go back to a previous state. We're in a tipping point. All that's happening with Brexit is a tipping point moment for your nation. Our nation is in a tipping point. I'll make a deal with you. We'll pray for your leaders if you'll not believe everything you hear about ours. (laughs) We've been over long enough to hear your news, and let me just say there's always another side to the story, okay? But let me just say, I I do believe that we're in a a very interesting tipping point moment. So let me just kind of explain. I I shared this in the morning prayer time at our church all those years ago. And we had an intercessor that would come and pray with us um, every every morning that, that he was there. He would come and pray. And he was a 
I don't know what he was. He was a computer genius. I asked him one time, what do you do? And he started explaining it to me. And it sounded like wah, 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 wah. I didn't understand anything that he said. Okay, so I can just say he's, a, he's like a computer engineer geek something, okay? So whenever I would hear things from the Lord, he would always try to break it down and simplify it for me. I jokingly said, he, sp- he spoke blonde to me. Do y'all tell blonde jokes over here? Blondes, please don't be offended, okay? Not very often because we've got a blonde that's a leader, okay? Don't be offended, blondes. I like to tell blonde jokes, and I don't mind telling blonde jokes because I know two things for a certainty. Number one, I am not stupid, and number two, I am not blonde, okay? So, all right, I I know both of those things, okay? I know that for a certainty, amen? Can I get a hand? Can I get an amen? Yes, all right. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay. And so this is what he, this is how he explained tipping point to me. He said, if we were to go out and try to lift a very heavy object, and he used the analogy of tipping over a car. I thought that was a little alarming, but he said, this is what you would do. You would get under it and you would first lift it. Then as you were lifting, there would come a point when you would have to shift your positioning and push. Okay? And then, so you'd have to lift, shift, and push. And you would have to push until the point that we call the tipping point. And here's what happens at a tipping point. All the work that you've done, all the pressure that you've brought brings you to this tipping point when one of two things can happen. Either that thing you've been pushing comes back on top of you because you don't push hard enough or long enough. Or when it hits that tipping point by its own momentum, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly. Suddenly, everything, all the forces that have been working against you, suddenly begin to work for you. Come on, up until that point, gravity works against you. But if you're trying to tip it over, suddenly, at the tipping point, what you've been pressing suddenly begins to work for you. How many feel inspired to continue to lift things through prayer, to continue to shift things through the prophetic, continue to push in the spirit with the spirit of breakthrough until you see the thing begin to tip? Amen? Now, my husband and I have been coming over here since probably for about 20 years. And, um, and I, I want to tell you something that I prophesied about 10 years ago, but I thought I'd tell you a, a little story about how clueless we are sometimes as Americans when we go in to nations, okay? We were uh, down in, um, in London, in Westminster, and we were actually doing a prayer for Parliament. We were down in the St. Mary's Undercroft, and uh, we had been invited to come in and, and prophesy and minister over the lords and over the MPs and over those that gathered. And it was, a, it was really a phenomenal time of tremendous favor for your government leaders to really hear the word of the Lord. And one of the first times that we came, uh, we were given instructions to the flat that we would be staying. And they told us that somebody would be hosting us in their flat. 
And so we took the tube. We Americans love the tube. You may not love it, but we love it, okay? Um, I, can, I can tell you everything in London, where it is located based on the tube map, okay? And so we took the tube to a certain place, and then we got off, and we knew we were going to need to walk a couple of blocks. And so we stopped, and we, we wanted to pick up a few things, and so we ran into Tesco and picked up a couple things, and so we're carrying our luggage and a couple of Tesco bags. When we walked into the home that we were being welcomed into to stay in, which just so happened to be the home of Lord and Lady Sainsbury. (laughs) We honestly still had no idea who they were. And when we walked in, she greeted us and she said, here, let me take those from you. And she took our bags and went into the other room. She probably threw them in the garbage. We never saw them again. And the next morning when we woke up, there was a 20-pound note on the counter with a note that said, please shop at Sainsbury's, okay? (laughs) True story. True story, okay? (laughs) Just to tell you how clueless we are, okay? And so one of those times that we were, that we were there and we were prophesying into the nation, um, <laughs> I know y'all will never forget that now, okay? <laughs> um, one of those times that we were there prophesying into the nation, um, I gave a prophetic word. And, and of course, sometimes when we prophesy, if you're not really tuned into even what's happening culturally, you don't really understand the words that you're saying. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, so I prophesied and I said, the Lord is getting ready to restore sovereignty to the UK. And when this happens, the Lord says, I am going to reconnect you to the spiritual inheritance that should be yours based on the impact of Christians that have been sent from this land into the nations to the missionaries that you've sent, to the reformers that you've sent, to the revivalists that you've sent. And I said, the Lord says there has been a disconnect from the blessing of the spiritual inheritance. How many know I, as an American, I had no idea what I was saying. And somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, you realize what you prophesied? And I said, no. And they looked at me like, you dummy. (laughs) They said, you prophesied that we would have to leave the EU. And I just said, okay, I, you know, that's the word of the Lord. So, you know, when you really start looking at what has come out of this nation spiritually, I know the empire spirit. I know there have been a, a lot of prayers of repentance over things that, uh, that are attached to the empire spirit. And I think that God has given a space of time to break off the negative connotations that come from that. But now I feel like the Lord's saying, you're at this tipping point where you need to start laying hold of your inheritance. God wants to bring this nation into a new season of reformation, a new season of revival and a new season of sending where this nation has been gathering from the nations. I believe there's going to be a continuous sending into the nations and a new missions move that is going to come out of this land that is going to impact nations like nothing you've ever seen before. And when I say that, I realize that people like William Carey and Hudson Taylor and David Livingstone 
and Jonathan Goforth, all these great missionaries that were sent from here. I realize that this has been a land where there's been reformation of men like John Knox. I know mostly in Scotland, but John and Charles Wesley and, uh, and George Whitfield. Come on, think of your rich spiritual heritage. Think of the Welsh revival. Think of the Hebrides revival. By the way, do you realize that our president is the great nephew of the women that prayed in the Hebrides revival? There's a root of revival in that man, and we're calling it forth. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you, God is setting us up in this season of time to blow by his spirit over these British Isles, to blow by his spirit over Europe once again. And God is going to awaken the valley of dry bones and they're going to stand up as an exceeding great army. I'm telling you, the greatest days of Europe in reformation and revival are not behind you. They're yet in front of you. Stand up if you were born in some other land and God's brought you here. Come on, look at this. God's been gathering from the nations. Raise your hands, those that are standing. The Spirit of the Lord says that I brought you here to help to spark the revival in this land. I brought you here as part of the inheritance of this land, that I might set you ablaze, that I might set you on fire, and then send you back to nations, send you to other nations other than your birth nation, and you will be carriers of fire. You will be carriers of revival. You will be carriers of awakening, declares the Spirit of God. And I am breaking off all the hindrances and all the constraints, and I am solving even some legal issues and immigration issues and I am beginning to declare to you that I knew exactly what I was doing when I brought you here says God I knew exactly what I was doing on the global scheme when I brought you here to impact you that you might go and impact others come on let's thank the Lord for these that have come thank you Lord you can be seated God's getting ready to reactivate Something in this land. When Brexit takes place, there's going to be like a, I just see this phenomenal open heaven over the land that's going to begin to stir something that you've been praying for, that you've been asking for, that you've been crying out to God for. I feel like there's just something significant. I know that it's a hot button issue in the nation. I know that not everybody's in agreement with it, which is probably why I shared that. Just to say, I wasn't speaking into it with any kind of, a, uh, of an opinion or an agenda, but just to say that God has an opinion and God has an agenda. And I don't know if the way forward is super clear just yet, but I want to challenge you that I believe this month is going to be a tipping point month. And I want to encourage those of you that are here to take some time to fast and to pray for your leaders, to break them free from the confusion, to break them free from the constriction that the enemy would like to bring because the enemy is standing at the gate and he wants to tear this nation apart. But I declare to you that God is saying that I want to tear open the heavens instead and I want to pour out my spirit and I want to pour out a spirit of revival like you've never seen before. Come on, can you have faith for that? Can you have faith for that? Is that what you've been praying for? There's something significant God is doing. 
Now, at the beginning of uh, the, the last Hebraic year, 5779, I was seeking the Lord, and I felt like the Lord said that he is taking the church. And, and when, I, when I sense this, I believe that there's an individual outworking of this in every single land and every single nation. But I felt like the Lord said he was taking his church out of survival into revival. Out of besiegement into a place of breakthrough. Come on, we were prophesying all over that tonight. Amen? Let me just say something. If you're in a hard time, survival is good. How many know surviving is good? Based on the other option. It's kind of like you can complain about getting old, but then there's one, only one option to, to getting old, okay? I'm going to keep getting old, okay? For a very long time, all right? So we have to understand that the enemy wants us to stay in a survival mindset, Wants to keep us in this place where we're just surviving. We're just getting by. We're always at this place of needing breakthrough. But there comes a time when breakthrough comes and God shifts you out of survival and into revival. Now, now I am not just praying for revival. It's okay to pray for revival. But I'm praying for an awakening. We know that the first great awakening, the seedbeds of that are right here in this nation. Come on. The, 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 the whole awakening that touched and impacted nations of the earth and the evangelical revival that came out of here was started here and blew to the ends of the earth. Now it's time for those winds to blow back. Come on. It's time for those winds to blow back. And God wants to bring us into a time of revival and awakening. The way that I understand awakening is that it's not just about an individual. Charles Finney in the second in the second great awakening said, a revival touches the heart of a man, but an awakening touches the heart of a nation. Come on, we've got nations that are gathered here. And this is a word that you can start grabbing hold of out of the spirit realm and pulling it into your now. Come on, because God wants to take us out of survival and into revival. Now, Whenever God speaks that way to me, because revival is not a word that I typically use. I tend to use awakening. Okay. And so I went and I looked up this word revival. And so I want to just give you the definition of it. I love definitions. First of all, let me give you a scripture. Psalms 85 verse 6 out of the Passion Translation. How many here have discovered the Passion Translation? Oh, it's an amazing translation. This is what it says. It says, revive us again, O Lord. Come on, lift your hands. How many is at your prayer? Revive us again, O Lord. I know you will give us a fresh start. Come on, there's a fresh start that God's releasing. It says, then all your people will taste your joy and your gladness. All your people will taste your joy and gladness. Now, let's just be honest for just a moment. How many of you feel like, in all honesty, maybe there's been a little bit of survival that you've been having to press through. My hand is up. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe you're a little weary. Maybe it doesn't feel like your prayers are reaching heaven. Come on. Let, don't, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay. 
I just want to declare to you, God is here tonight to shift you, to be a forerunner of that revival spirit. God wants to make you a forerunner carrying the anointing of revival. So let me give you the definition of this word revival. Again, according to Webster, it means to bring back to life. I see some people writing. I'll slow down. That's hard for me because I've already had tea and cappuccino. I bind myself in Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to slow it down a little bit. To bring back to life, consciousness, vigor, vitality, and strength. To bring back to a flourishing condition. It literally means to take dead things and bring them back to life. Now, I shared with our leaders the other day that I was in the UK last February. I was in Scotland with our dear friend Emma Stark, and then I was down in London with Dr. Sharon Stone. And the the last day that we were here, I had a travel companion that had never seen London, so we tubed in, and we did the London thing, did all the tourist things that you all probably despise, but we do them over and over again. Um, But... Uh, the, the, the last night, we, it was getting dark, and I said, would you, would you like to go to a play? Well, we'll just stop in one of these little places and just see what's showing. And, of course, I love Les Mis. So I said, let's go see Les Mis. And so we, we went in. They said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any tickets for that. And then as she was checking it out, she says, oh, wait, two, t- two tickets actually just now popped up. <laughs> Isn't God cool, Okay. So, and these tickets just happened to be five rows from the stage, right in the center. Nice tickets. And so we took them, we, we scurried off, and we got to, their, to the play just as it was getting ready to start. We watched it. We loved it. At the end, we were on our feet clapping and applauding and crying because I cry through that whole thing every time. And as, and as we were getting ready to leave, we discovered that on the row right behind me, now think about how God set us in that place. On the row right behind me, about five seats down, a man died during the second half. The other night when we were sharing this with the leaders, one of the men said, I understand that. Okay, that was him, yes. (laughs) He still understands that, okay? Not a musical lover, apparently, okay? (laughs) Totally cracked me up. And so this man is dead. He has no pulse. He has no breath. He has no heartbeat. His eyes are blank and staring. They're shaking him. They're trying to pour water in his mouth, which is just running down. And he is gone. They've called the paramedics. They're waiting for the the ambulance to come. His wife is weeping. She doesn't speak English. She can't communicate with anybody. And, and And the man is gone. And everybody's standing around watching. And I could see it just kind of through the crowd, what was happening. And all of a sudden, the crowd just parted. And I didn't even think about it. I just slipped in the crowd. I picked up the man's dead face, stared into his empty eyes, and I said, you come back now in Jesus' name. Nothing happened, but his wife was sitting there, and she didn't speak English, but she said, yes, yes, Jesus' name. So men, be nice to your wives, okay? They may be there at a point that you need them to agree, okay? 
She said, yes, yes, in Jesus' name. And so I said it again. I said, you come back in Jesus' name. And in front of about 20 people that were standing around, that man took a deep breath. He began to blink his eyes, and he came back to life right in front of God and everybody. Amen? I just think that it's really fun that the first person I ever got to raise from the dead happened in this nation. Come on, can it be a sign? Can it be a wonder? Can it be a declaration to this land that God is bringing dead things back to life? I want to encourage you. If I could do that, you could do that. I didn't pray some fancy prayer. I just said, you come back. My hairdresser raised somebody from the dead a few years before that. And I was very inspired by her story. You've heard me tell this story, haven't you? Have y'all heard me tell this story? (laughs) She's my hairdresser. We love each other because you should always love your hairdresser. And please don't judge her based on how my hair looks tonight, okay? Huh? She keeps me blonde. That's right. That's our secret, okay? All right. So she was, she was doing hair in her beauty salon, and a la- she had put color on a lady's hair, and she was waiting for it to process. And the lady said she was going to go to the restroom, to the toilet, and she got up and she took three steps and she collapsed on the floor of the salon. Her breath went out of her and her body functions all let go. She was gone. Somebody screamed, call 911. That's our emergency number. Call 911. The paramedics were coming and they had the hospital on the phone and they said, does anybody there know CPR? Is that what you call it, CPR? They said, does anybody there know CPR? Nobody knew CPR. Marie, my hairdresser, she says, you know what? I don't know CPR, but I do know something. Come on. Do you believe that God will put you at the right place at the right time to be a carrier of God's revival, to be a carrier of God's spirit? So she went over and she didn't pray a fancy prayer. She just walked over, put her hand on the woman's shoulder and said, breathe. And when she said breathe, the woman took a deep breath and began to breathe. Come on, life came back into her on the floor of that salon. Marie's not a preacher. Come on, you put a microphone in her hand, she looks at you with evil eyes, okay? She doesn't like the spotlight. And yet God used her to bring life back into that woman. But the woman did not wake up, but she came back to life. She was breathing. And so at that moment, Marie kicked into a different gear. And she thought, you know what? This woman's going to live. So I better get this hair color off her hair. (laughs) So she got the other ladies in the salon to come over and help her. And they picked this woman up and they drug her across the floor, put her up in the chair to get her hair washed. They washed her hair, got the hair color out, and then put her back on the floor and waited for the paramedics to come. Now, that's what I call doing your job. Come on. Saved her life and her hair. Hallelujah. Come on. You don't have to be a preacher to do the works of Christ. These signs will follow those that believe. How many people here believe? Amen. 
Come on, I believe that we're coming into a day where God wants every single one of us to become carriers of his revival, carriers of his life, carriers of his miracle working power. Now, when I gave the testimony about my experience in in partnering with God to bring this woman back to life, I want you to know that one of our former Bible college students heard it. She's a young mother, and she lives in another state now. And when she heard it, you know what she said? She said, if Pastor Jane can do that, I can do that. See, that's what I want you to hear. I don't want you to hear what I did. I want you to hear, if I did that, you could do that. Okay? It didn't take special prayers. It didn't take casting out X number of demons. It just called, it just took being in the right place and connecting heaven and earth by a simple word of faith that causes God to come and move. So I, so I shared this and this lady said, you know, if Pastor Jane could do that, then I could do that. Lord, give me an opportunity. Of course, you know what she just prayed for? She just prayed that somebody would drop dead in front of her. Be careful what you ask for, okay? So a couple months later, she was at a Zumba class. Do you all know what Zumba is? Okay, if I went to Zumba, I would be on the one on the floor, okay? Just to say. But, she, but this woman fell over and had a heart attack. The paramedics came. They were working chest compressions. They were doing the, you know, the defibrillator on her. There was no response. She was standing there watching when all of a sudden the Lord said, isn't this what you asked for? She goes, okay. <laughs> she went over, touched the lady on the shoulder and said, I, I rebuke the spirit of death. And prayed life come back in. And right, just that simple little prayer, life came back into that woman in front of paramedics that had been working on her for, for quite a long time. Life came back into her. Amen? I want us to begin to expand our expectation. Amen? This is a year of birthing. You know, this is, this is the, the, the Hebraic symbol. It's supposed to look like a pregnant woman. Do you see it? <laughs> I can't see it, okay? But it's supposed to look like a pregnant woman, okay? Nine is the number of birthing. Come on, God wants to make us pregnant with revival. God wants to make us pregnant with miracles. God wants to make us pregnant with the supernatural. And I want tonight, as you're here, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that we're no longer in survival mode. We're coming into revival mode. That means that things that you prayed for in the last season that didn't happen, God's saying pray again in this season, and you're going to begin to see him show up and begin to cause it to come to pass for you. Amen? You are carriers of God's supernatural power. If God wants to move on the earth, he's going to use you. If God wants to heal the sick, he'll use you. If God wants to speak to somebody, he's going to use you. Come on, let's hope that we're not living in the day when God wants to speak. Suddenly we see a hand come out from the wall and start writing on the wall. How many would that just freak you out just a little bit? Come on. How much better is it for God to use his people to release his voice? Amen. I want everybody to shout the word revival. Revival. What we have to understand is that we're pregnant. Another way to say pregnant is we're expecting. So what are we expecting in this season? What are you expecting? When you're in a survival mode, you stop expecting. All you want is to survive. Come on, your dreams of greatness fade away 
And all you expect is, God, can I please pay my bills this month? Come on. God is saying we need to start raising our expectations. Listen to the rest of this definition of revival. It means, of course, a spiritual awakening. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. This is where we're living right now. This tipping point moment. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Put your hand on your head and say, it's rising on me. Those first two words, arise, shine, in the Hebrew literally mean, wake up and be set on fire. Come on, that's what God's saying to us in this time. We can't just be a, a normal status quo. We've got to wake up and be set on fire. Because then we have verse 2, which is the tipping point verse. For darkness will cover the earth. And deep darkness is going to cover the people. Let me see. One translation says gross darkness. Some of the stuff that's going on today is gross darkness. I mean, if you're tracking America at all with the crazy stuff that's happening with our abortion laws. There's a tipping point moment that's coming. I'm telling you, there's a tipping point moment that's coming. And the enemy's way overplaying his hand. Amen. Keep praying for us. Keep pushing with us. Amen. And so it says darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness will cover the people. But the Lord will rise on you. Say on me. And his glory will be seen on you. Say on me. Then the nations will come to his light, to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Come on, can we start raising our expectation? Can we start raising our spiritual alert, uh, uh, alertness so that we can wake up and be set on fire? I was, uh, I was traveling somewhere in M State, Michigan. Michigan, Montana, Minnesota, they're all up there confuses Americans too. Okay. And I was in Michigan and we were, uh, we were having some meetings up there and I was traveling alone and I was, um, my alarm had gone off that morning and I happen to be one of those people that believes the last 10 minutes in bed are the most comfortable 10 minutes (laughs) in bed. So I am the one that hits the snooze button. Anybody else here? Okay. All right. You don't have to admit it. Okay. All right. And so I had hit the snooze button and I snuggled back under the covers for just a minute. I was actually not asleep. I was thinking about a dream that I'd had, but I was kind of turned sideways and I was snuggled under the covers when suddenly I felt a physical hand on my shoulder that shook me hard and a loud voice said, wake up. I knew instantly that that hand was an angel. And let me say, there's people that say, oh, I saw this angel. No, my liver was quivering, okay? It scared the living daylights out of me, okay? And when I woke up, I didn't see the angel, but I sat up in bed and I said, wow, Lord. I'm thinking, why would he send an angel down? I've only been sleeping eight minutes, okay? (laughs) Why would he send an angel down? And I said to the Lord, because I knew he was talking about spiritual awakening. And I said to the Lord, wow, Lord. I thought I was awake. And the Lord said back to me, most of my church thinks that they're awake. But they're still asleep. And he said, you've got to wake up so that you can go and wake them up. So tonight I'm here to say, wake up. Wake up. 
Yes. Come on, we got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to open our ears to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we've got to obey when he starts pushing us out beyond our comfort zone. Raise your hand if you say, I'll do that, Lord. Okay, God, you wrote down those names. Now, God, you're going to help them do that. Okay. The word revival means restoration of hope and confidence. How many believe God's going to do that first for the church? Then he's going to do that for this nation. He's going to restore hope and confidence. Years ago, I heard the Lord say, I'm restoring hope to my church so that my people can restore hope to the land. So there's hope that God is restoring in us. Maybe you've been brokenhearted. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've prayed prayers that you didn't ever see come to pass. But I'm telling you, we're entering into a time of hope. And hope produces faith. And faith produces miracles. God's going to bring us into a time of restoration. That's part of this word revival is restoration. Um, if, you've been, if you watched the news at all, then you may have known that last October 10th, 2018, the panhandle of Florida, which is where we live, got hit by a massive hurricane. It missed us by about 30 miles as far as the eye of the storm. We had some damage. We had high winds, but we were very much preserved. But 30 miles to our east looks continuous. Now, even now, five months later, looks like bombs have gone off all over the city. It's completely devastated. And one of our churches was right in the eye of the storm, and God supernaturally preserved that church. Supernaturally. I mean, 90% of the churches were damaged, damaged beyond repair and destroyed. Horrific. We lost 80% of the trees in that area. It was a very, very difficult thing. And in the middle of that time, uh, Pastor Robert Gay, who wrote one of the songs that we sang tonight about the roar of the lion, um, he, he's our church over there, and he was studying about in, in um, uh, Joel chapter 2 where it says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the chewing locusts, the crawling locusts, the swarming locusts. So he started looking up this word restore, and he found back, especially in the book of Le- Leviticus, when this word restore is used, it says if somebody steals um, a lamb, you must restore seven. If somebody steals a goat, then he must restore five. If somebody steals, you're getting the idea. I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly right. But what's really interesting is that this word restore in Hebrew is the word shalom. Not shalom. Shalom. S-H-A-L-A-M. Now, we live in the south, so we say shalam. We know it's not good Hebrew, okay? But we say shalam because shalam rhymes with bam. How many think God wants to bam us? Come on. He wants to shalam us. When Pastor Robert read read the scripture about restoring seven lambs, my husband said, that's a shalama lamb. Okay? (laughs) That's just how he thinks, okay? But here's what shalam actually means, shalam. It actually means to restore more than before, to restore better than before. Think about that in the connotation of spiritual outpourings and revivals that have happened in this land. Come on, if God wants to restore a revival spirit, a reformation spirit, if God wants to restore an outpouring over this land, this land, it's not just going to be like the Welsh revival. It's not just going to be like Hebrides or Sunderland or any of these other outpourings that have happened. It's going to be more than before. It's going to be better than before. Can you shout the word shalam? Shalam. 
For those of you that don't want to say it like a southerner, say shalom. Shalom. Shalom and shalom are very closely knit words. The word shalom does not just mean peace. It means prosperity. It means wholeness. It literally has this connotation, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing damaged. So say shalom and shalom. Come on, we need to start putting our faith out for that. Right. How many of you have some things that you need to see shalammed in your life? Amen. Come on, God wants to shalam our families. God wants to shalam our churches. God wants to shalam our businesses. God wants to shalam some of our finances that have been stolen in the past season. Come on, every single time you see it, it says if you catch a thief, he must restore double. If, he, if you catch a thief, he must restore sevenfold. Come on, God is saying we need to get our expectation up to begin to see God shalam us and shalom us. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, when God shalams you, you'll come into revival. Yeah. Amen? This... This couple that got 500 pounds the other night, how many know they're feeling a little bit of revival right now? Come on. All right, so in this, I'm just going to finish reading this because I keep getting stuck on every definition. All right, it means to activate or set things in motion. It means to grow, develop, and become successful again. Come on, God wants to bring revival. God wants to bring success into the land. It means to quicken and renew the mind. Lay your hand on your mind. Come on, God wants to bring you out of survival. Come on, out of the place where you just are so consumed by the hurts and the disappointments and the confusion of the past. God wants to shalam our minds. He wants to bring revival to our minds to break us out of the confusion of the past and break us in to a place of the peace of God, the blessing of God, the faith of God, the expectation of God. God's saying it's time. If not now, then when? We're in a tipping point moment. Amen. Amen. It means, listen to this. The definition of revival means to recover from financial depression. Some of y'all, it's just taking a minute to set in that this is a promise from God. And lastly, it means to rejuvenate, reactivate, resuscitate, and revitalize. Rejuvenate. Reactivate, resuscitate, and revitalize. The word rejuvenate means to make you young again. (laughs) All the ladies are going, (laughs) men don't care, but woo, the women are like, yes. We go to Korea. We've been going to Korea for 21 years. And every time we go to Korea, um, we, we meet the Korean people and they all have these very complicated, are there any Korean people here tonight? We, we, they, they have these very complicated Korean names. And so when you say, what's your name? They'll tell you sometimes their Korean name and you go, okay. And they say, oh, I'm, just call me John. <laughs> so they all have English names, okay? They all have English names for, for uh, we English people. Mostly it's Esther and Deborah and Daniel and John. And, you know, very simple names that we Americans can kind of catch on. And so one night the, uh, the translator was in introducing me to his wife and he said, I'm sorry, she doesn't have an English name, but her Korean name is so young. And I said, that is my Korean name. Yes. My name is Jane, but in Korean, it's so young. Okay. How many know God wants to wake us up? He wants to revive us. He wants to make us young again. He wants to bring us into a birthing season. How many know that you got to be young to birth? 
And that has nothing to do with age because Abraham was 99 years old when his wife got pregnant who was 89 years old and he was 100 years old and she was 90 when they gave birth. Come on, it is not too late for you to birth the vision that God has put in your heart. Amen? It's a birthing season. It's a time of expectation. Some of you lost it in the years of survival, but God is saying, wake up and be revived. Wake up and dream again. Wake up and expect again. Think bigger. Think think. Think extended beyond what you've ever thought. Right. So that's the good news. There's a little bit of bad news. Because you know what? The enemy doesn't want to give up. How many are willing for this? You're, you're born on the battlefield. You are made for such a time as this. Isn't this interesting how we can take the words off the screen and now use them to wake you up? okay we were born on a battlefield we were born for such a time as this Isaiah chapter 37 verse 3 and 4 a man named Hezekiah a righteous king a reformer the king of Judah Israel and Judah had split the king of Judah is now besieged by the wicked king Sennacherib from Assyria I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a moment but let me just say this Hezekiah was a reformer. He came into place. He was a righteous man. It said everything he did was pleasing in the eyes of God. Wow, what a statement. Everything he did was pleasing in the eyes of God. And yet when he got besieged by the enemy, he made this statement. It's a day of rebuke. What's the second word? Something and blasphemy. I guess I could read it to you. 37, 4, Isaiah. Oh, a day of rebuke, a day of trouble, and a day of blasphemy. For the children are come to birth, and there is not strength to bring it forth. Is it possible to come to this hour and give up? She screams, no. Well, I guess it is possible, but we're not going to. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Can we, can, can we come to the point when everything we've been pushing and pressing and declaring and prophesying suddenly comes back on top of us because we lose our strength? Can the children come to birth and there not be strength to bring it forth? In the days of the New Testament, Paul raised up a mighty work. In Ephesus, I mean, the center of magic and witchcraft, a major, massive revival was breaking out. Suddenly, it became a hostile climate for Paul. They threw him out of town, basically. He had to run out of town. And he left Timothy to run the church, the biggest church in the world. How would you like to have to step into those shoes? Okay, Paul was the previous pastor, okay? Now, suddenly, Timothy's the pastor. That's a little bit of a mind trip right there, okay? And he steps in, and I'll tell you what, Timothy had to navigate the church at very complicated times. As I'm speaking to you about revival, as I'm speaking to you about times of breakthrough, there's going to be a lot of complicated times in the nations. Come on, there's going to be a lot of controversy that's going on. There's going to be a lot of hostile winds that are blowing over the land. In the days of Timothy, the head of the largest church, Nero... The emperor of Rome 
was killing Christians in mass. He was covering them with tar and lighting them on fire as human torches. Horrible persecution was hitting the church. There was the external stuff, but then there was the internal stuff in the church because there were false teachers that were rising up in the church and were teaching false pagan doctrines in the church. Oh, that could never happen. Come on, there's coming a dividing point between the true Bible-believing church and the church that just wants to say they're church and play church. So Paul writes to Timothy in the book of Ephesians, and he says this to Timothy. Timothy, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Please write that scripture down. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Can the children come to the birth and there not be strength to bring it forth? Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I know that you've heard teaching on the word dunamis, right? The infilling of the Holy Spirit that brings miracle working power and a force of the Holy Ghost and supernatural strength. Well, when Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the Lord, this is the word en dunamato. Can you say that with me? En dunamato. And what that is in the Greek is it is a picture of a vessel or a container that is suddenly filled with the mighty explosive dynamite dunamis power of God that begins to break you out of the constrictions. And Paul was saying to Timothy, listen, I know there's all this garbage going on outside the church and all the garbage going on inside the church, but Timothy and dunamao be filled with the explosive might and power of the Lord. You feel weary? Then end dunamao. You know how you end dunamao? You pray in the Holy Ghost. This is a time that we must pray in the Spirit. We must pray in the Holy Ghost. Our staff starts every morning praying for an hour in the Holy Ghost. Just tongues for an hour. We actually do 24 hours the first day of the month, and we have churches that do um, partner with us in that. And I remember my first time I came to the sanctuary, I was doing an hour by myself. And I want you to know I came into the sanctuary, I walked back and forth across the front praying in tongues. I went up on the platform, walked across the platform praying in tongues. I took a flag. I walked around our sanctuary, which is a little bit bigger than this. And I walked around it, and I walked around it several times. I put the flag down. I got on my knees. I got on my face all the while praying in tongues. And I thought at this point, surely my hour is up. I looked at my watch and it had been seven minutes, okay? We must learn how to discipline ourselves to pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on. Come on. We got to learn how to discipline ourselves. We got to learn how to push ourselves. We got to learn how to stir up the Spirit of God inside of us so that we can endunamao because if we endunamao, we will have strength to bring it forth. This is the time you've been praying for. This is the hour that God is beginning to remove a veil off of this land. And God is saying, I'm looking for an army of people that are ready to carry my anointing out and about. And it's not going to all happen in churches. Come on, it's going to happen out and about. And you will be the carrier of God's glory. And you will be the carrier of God's anointing. So here's your warning. I had a dream a few months back. And in the dream, um, 
I had a vision in the dream. Didn't know you could do that, but I had a vision in my dream. And I saw the attack of the enemy coming. And the, stra- the, the plan of the enemy was to capture my husband, who I knew represented apostolic and prophetic leaders all over the world, apostolic and prophetic people all over the world that want to press into the new things of God. But in my vision, the enemy came and took him captive. They stripped the shirt off of his back. The back is where we carry our vision. The back is where we carry our strength. And what the enemy did is he, he spread poison all over his back. And then he took a metal rod and he began to beat my husband's back until it bled. He beat his back until it broke him. And until he was destroyed on the ground. I saw this in the vision in my dream. So in my dream, I woke up from the vision. Track with me. (laughs) And so we alerted the authorities and the authorities said, let them come. When they come, we'll, we'll capture them. So when they came to execute this horrible plan, the authorities captured these enemies, took them outside, stripped the shirt off of their back, and took the metal rod out of their hand and put it in our hand. And they said, now you beat the back of your enemy. I'm sorry if that's violent, okay? But they said they had us beat the back of our enemy. The interesting thing about the dream was that I knew the name of the leader of this attack, and his name was Rabshaka. Who here knows who Rabshaka is? I honestly, when I dreamed this, I woke up and I didn't know who Rabshaka was. I thought maybe it was a reggae band. I didn't, I didn't know who it was, okay? I was like, reggae band, Rabshaka, okay? I didn't know who it was. And lo and behold, I find Rabshaka in the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib who has besieged Jerusalem. Let me ask you something. Did Hezekiah do anything wrong to find himself besieged? No, the word actually says everything he did was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Can you do everything right and still find yourself in a place of besiegement? Okay. But Hezekiah had to position himself in a right way. Rabshakeh was Sennacherib's mouthpiece. Now, in the story, Sennacherib, he's like considered to be one of the cruelest kings, the cruelest conquerors that was ever in history. He used to devise some of the most cruel ways of torturing people, and he would leave piles of heads outside the gates of the cities that he would conquer. He had just conquered 46 cities of Israel and destroyed them and taken hundreds and thousands of people captive and cut off the heads of the warriors. Come on, how many understand that's, that's the kind of devil we're dealing with? So why do we have you shout? Why do we have you sing war songs? Because there's a war. There's a battle. We've got to get it in our head that we are the army of the Lord. And so in this scenario, what happened is that Sennacherib sent Rabshakeh. Now, it's about Sennacherib that Isaiah wrote these words. He said to Israel, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because Sennacherib was forming all these weapons. What no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue, this is Rabshakeh, every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Who's going to condemn it? We're going to condemn it. So what did Rabshakeh do? He went on the wall and he said to the people, 
All the people. He didn't just privately negotiate like you're supposed to. He goes up on the wall and he fills the atmosphere with these words. Don't think your God's going to save you. Your situation is impossible. There's no way out. You need to just give up. You need to just surrender. You need to just lay down your arms and we won't hurt you. The problem with making a peace treaty with the devil is that he is a liar and his pants are on fire, okay? Seriously. But this is what he did. He said, don't follow your leader. Come on, the enemy's out to disconnect you from your leaders. You have no place of hope. You have no place of contending. Can you see these hundreds of thousands of Assyrians? You have no hope. Your situation is impossible. Let me tell you, the enemy wants to come. He wants to fill your atmosphere with doubt and unbelief and fear. He wants to beat you down. He wants to beat you and poison you and poison your thought process. He wants to beat you down until you have no strength left. I'm just telling you, this is what the enemy's doing. And what he wants to do is he wants to get in your head. Don't let the devil in your head. Why can I tell you this? Because he got in my head. He got in my head. About a month after I had this vision, I was, we were home from travel, and I got vertigo in my ears. I had two ear infections. I got vertigo. You know, that's where you can't walk straight, dizzy. I was a true dizzy blonde. Okay, I couldn't walk, couldn't walk straight. And I, there's, nothing, there's not really much you can do. You basically have to just lay in the bed or sit until it gets better. You can't, like, press through because then you fall into the wall, okay? Seriously. And in that situation, the enemy came and just was relentless getting in my head. Who do you think you are? You think you raised the dead? You can't even pray for healing for your ears, who gets ear infections? Two-year-olds get ear infections. You're not a mighty woman. What do you think? You're not a prophet. What do you think? You're not a prophet. You're a performer. And I knew it was the devil. I knew it was the voice of the devil, but the voice was relentless. So I would take authority over it, and it still came. And then I felt ashamed. Come on, the enemy wants to lock us in shame. Come on, you don't have power. You don't have authority. You can't stand up against me. And it started to immobilize me. So I went to my husband. And I said, will you pray for me? I wept when I, when I asked him because I felt so ashamed. Come on, we pray for the sick. We see the sick healed. We see the dead raised. We prophesy with power. We minister. And, and I was broken at that moment. And I went to my husband and I said, will you pray for me? He prayed for me and it broke. I went to our elders that night. I told them that story. They prayed for me and it broke. Don't let the devil get in your head. And if he does, find somebody to help you get him out. Come on, listen to me. Don't let shame lock you up. Don't let shame isolate you. Don't let shame beat you down. Because that's what happened to me. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to tell you about 
my life so that you don't have to go there. It's a very real assignment. It's a very real attack. The enemy wants us to lay down our weapons, lay down our arms and quit. Wants us to give up on our prophetic promises right at this time that God says, it's time to see them come to pass. Come on, how many has it been hard for you over this last season of time? How many of you feel like there's been a head game that the enemy's been trying to play on you? Come on, look around the room. Don't lift your hand without shame because I want you to see that when it's this many hands are up, it is not just you that's struggling. It is a demonic attack that is concerted effort to try to keep the people of God out of possessing the revival that God has promised. The very fact that you're here tonight is an indicator that God's going to bring you into breakthrough. The fact that you just raised your hand and said, yeah, you know what? I've been going through that too. (laughs) He's a defeated foe. Let me finish the story for you. Hezekiah comes. He puts the the accusations. Hezekiah, uh, Rabshakeh kept coming and kept coming. By the way, his name means chief prince. And be aware because I think it's the spirit behind a lot of the um, fake news. Controlling the atmosphere, defining the battle, telling you what it wants you to hear. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you believe. And so he he controlled the airwaves. So in in that day, he kept coming. Hezekiah took his accusations, put them on the altar of the Lord, spread them out before God. And he said, God, I need help. Now, listen, we've got to spread what the enemy has said about us. Out on the altar of the Lord. How many feel like you understand what the devil says about you? <laughs> Come on. Some, sometimes we got to know our enemy. What has he said? And so he spread it out on the altar of the Lord. Here's the problem. Many of us bring the things that the enemy says to us and we put them on an altar that we have made. That is made up of question marks and whys and things that we don't understand that we've endured during our survival process, during our besiegement. God, why? That's what Hezekiah could have said. God, why? God, I don't understand. And what we do if we're not careful is we build an altar out of the things we don't understand. And we have to, we go to that altar instead of the altar of the Lord who says, God is the one that makes all things possible. See, if you're putting the accusations of the enemy on your idolatrous altar, come on. We've got to let go of the past. We've got to let go of our whys. Listen, we, we have, we have a, our son was born with a major birth defect. He had 13 major reconstructive surgeries. You know what? I don't think we ever asked why. God would not let us ask why because we knew it would build an altar of why. We have a grandson that has a genetic uh, deletion, has a lot of trouble, a lot of, you know what, we don't ask why. We put our trust in God because it's in that place that miracles come. I'm not saying that it's a sin to ask why. I'm saying that you can't stay there. We've got to break out of this altar of why, this altar of self, this altar of misunderstanding. It's an idolatrous altar. And we got to come to the altar of the Lord. And when he did that, he cried out to God. He extolled God. He praised God. And then here's what God did. God sent a prophet to prophesy. Isaiah comes and he says, hey, king, God has heard your cry. 
do not be afraid. Because not one arrow of this invading army that's outside your gates, not one arrow will fly in this city. And this guy, Rabshakeh, he's going to hear a rumor and go chasing after it. And when he gets there, people are going to kill him. Come on, the, the, Lord, the Lord's going to set your enemy up to be destroyed. Sennacherib is going to hear another rumor. He's going to turn back the way that he came. And when he gets back to his country, he will be destroyed. And he prophesies. And this is where we get Isaiah 30, verse 31, where Isaiah prophesies. And he says this, the voice of the Lord will shatter the enemy. Come on, you feel like you're besieged? Then you need to prophesy. You need to open your mouth and declare what God is saying. You need to prophesy. Don't just wait for somebody else to come and prophesy. Although what I'm doing right now is prophesying to you. I am prophesying to you to prophesy. (laughs) You're like, oh man, I thought somebody was going to do that for me. No, we got to prophesy. The voice of the Lord will shatter the enemy. Listen to this. With his scepter... He will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on the back of the enemy with his punishing rod. Remember my dream? Will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Isaiah prophesied and the enemy was shattered. And then it says, what happened next? Is that God sent, this blows me away, God sent one angel. (laughs) One angel. I mean, like, there's like 300,000 Assyrians there. And God goes, oh, yeah, that's like a one angel job. (laughs) Seriously, read it. God sends one angel. The angel comes down. And basically goes like this. And he kills 185,000 Assyrians. Just like that. Say bam. Say shalam. Suddenly the besiegement was broken. Sennacherib packed up, went back to his country. And when he got there, his own sons killed him. This is a time that if we will position ourselves properly, get rid of our altars of of iniquity, get rid of our altars of idolatry, repent of the sin that we're in, repent of unforgiveness, repent of the stuff we've been hanging on to, get rid of that whole altar and go to the altar of the Lord and cry out to God. God will release a prophetic word that will mobilize angel armies that will begin to come and be stirred over your life, over your circumstance, but even more importantly, over your nation.